Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. My prayer for all of us this year is that whatever this year brings, that we will be a year of trusting in God's faithfulness. It will be a year of knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we will experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. By the way, speaking of the Holy Spirit, this is our new sermon series this year. I'm excited to kick it off. I don't know about you, but I really like that graphic. That is a fierce bird, like not one of those wimpy birds they use in like magic shows, you know? This is like the kind of fierce bird that you would see in Tolkien or Lewis or something like that. I just love this graphic because the Holy Spirit is fierce and powerful and at work in our world and at work in our lives. And we're going to we're going to see that this year. Now, for some of you, it's exciting that we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. You're like, yeah, it's awesome. And others of you are like, I don't know, where's it going to go with this? You're starting to get a little bit nervous. Maybe you have thoughts like, you know, I know Father, I know the Son. I know that the Holy Spirit is, is part of the triune God. But, you know, we don't want to really get into the Holy Spirit because that's when like weird stuff happens. And, you know, that's what those Christians do. And we're not them. Like we're Presbyterian. You know, we got a reputation here. I, I don't know where you are at with your experience on this. But my experiences have been that many Christians have an underdeveloped understanding of the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we want to we want to push into that. We want to see what Scripture has to tell us about the Spirit. And I think we'll discover there's so much more there than we realized. And we're going to have a course of biblical approach to this. But I also think that God's going to reveal things. And maybe you're going to see things you didn't see before. I think people can be kind of hesitant because... Let's be honest, there are things out there that people attribute to the Holy Spirit and the work of God that I don't think are. I don't see them in Scripture. They're just really bizarre. Like, I don't understand that. And I can't always know, like, and judge every situation. But let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's don't then say, well, because some people in the name of the Holy Spirit are doing some weird stuff, and we're just going to stay away from all that. No, we want to press in. And I think that we will see that there's so much complexity to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we have to begin somewhere. I want to start before we get into the various roles we're going to look at throughout this series in the next nine weeks. Let's just start with a foundational understanding. Holy Spirit 101. Who is the person of the Holy Spirit? This will be a review for, for some of you, maybe many of you, but we got to start somewhere. So three important things you need to know. It's not everything, but let's start here. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay, Father, Son, and Spirit. We worship a triune God. It makes us unique. This is our Christian tradition. We see in Scripture that all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are all fully God. Spirit is God. Second, the Holy Spirit is eternal. The Spirit was there at the beginning with the Father and the Son. In Genesis chapter 1, it says the Spirit was hovering over the waters and brought order out of chaos. And there's some scholars who go, well, you know, we don't really know if that's the Holy Spirit per se. Okay, we can argue those things. I think it's the Spirit because the Spirit is God. So the Spirit was there at the beginning. The Spirit is eternal. The third thing that's important to note is that the Holy Spirit is personal. Personal. 
Not a vague source of energy, not just love incarnate, not, you know, we have all these ideas and many worldviews that are, that are very vague. There's an energy in the world. There's a love in the world. There's a, a conscience that we all have. These are all very vague ideas. In Christianity, we believe the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and guiding us and lives inside of us and is changing us and transforming us. The Spirit is personal, not a vague idea or energy force in the world. A personal being with a will that can be lied to and resisted. Read your Bible. It's all in there. I don't have time to go into all the details. The Spirit is personal. So that's that's an important foundation for us. And as we look at Scripture, we see the Spirit is deeply involved in every aspect of salvation from start to finish. So I want to give you kind of a preview on this series by sort of laying out for you in one statement many, not comprehensively, but many of the roles of the Spirit that we're going to hit on in the eight weeks after this. So the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God to us and regenerates believers. We'll look at that today. The Holy Spirit is the seal and deposit of salvation. The Spirit applies the work of Christ to us, transforming our moral and spiritual character and enabling us to live by the Spirit and not the flesh. The Holy Spirit lives inside every believer, serves as our counselor, our teacher, and our guide, The Spirit guides us in our prayers. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The Spirit produces good fruit in us as we abide in Christ. The Spirit gives and empowers our spiritual gifts so that we can glorify God and serve others. The Spirit empowers us to live godly lives. The Spirit empowers us to share the gospel with others. All of this and more is the work of the Holy Spirit. So I believe this deserves our attention and our focus. So we're going to look at a couple of different places in the Bible. A few of these weeks will be in the Gospel of John, which really emphasizes this. And so today we begin with the work of the Holy Spirit as regenerator. So what is regeneration? A big fancy theological term. Regeneration is the sovereign and supernatural work of God, the Holy Spirit, granting spiritual life to each Christian, raising them from the dead so that they are now able to repent and trust in Christ as a new creation. Now that is a distinctly reformed uh, understanding of regeneration. There are different viewpoints, but we believe that regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit in preparation, changing our very nature before our actual moment of conversion. So I'll come back to that a little bit later on. Another word for regeneration is rebirth. We're born again or born from above, as we saw in our passage today. It's distinguished from the first birth when we were conceived physically and we inherited a sinful nature. The new birth is a spiritual, holy, and heavenly birth that results in our being made alive in Christ. An important idea to understand here as we look at the scope of the work of the Spirit is this idea that the Spirit is at work before you actually convert and profess faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is at work in the sovereign foundations of your life. The Spirit is at work changing you and preparing you to see your need for the gospel and to repent and turn to faith in Jesus. We believe that people have a free will, that Scripture teaches that, but yet in our free will, we will choose what our nature desires. And we're born with a sinful nature that is a rebel. And so we need our nature to be changed to one that is spiritually alive, one that has eyes to see. And when our eyes of our regenerated nature see the gospel, we return, we repent and we turn to God in faith. 
So we're going to look at a couple of ideas this morning from this passage uh, to talk about this idea of regeneration. The first one is that regeneration opens our eyes to see Jesus. So John chapter 3 records an interaction between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was part of a religious group called the Pharisees. They held to a very strict interpretation and application of the law. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He was influential. He was born into an influential family. He was at the very center of Judaism. He was a kind of representative person in this scenario. If he were alive today, he's the guy that you would call to be the pastor of your church. Because he was educated, he was bright, he was a good leader. He checked off all the boxes. If he ran for office, he would probably win. You would want him on the board of your organization, no matter what it was. He was the guy. But Jesus is not all that impressed with that. And he challenges Nicodemus, the one who should have seen these truths, who should have understood them, who was a very teacher of the law of God, and yet he missed this foundational truth. And so this interaction is part of a much broader conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. And Jesus is challenging their understanding of the true nature of salvation. If Nicodemus can't be saved by a system of good works, who can be? And the answer is no one. There's a different way. We must be born again. Now, Nicodemus is interested. He's, he's interested in Jesus, but he, he's not really all that interested in discovering the truth. Here he is challenging Jesus, teaching an authority, just like the other religious and political leaders. He, of all people, should have recognized the truth about Jesus, but he didn't. He didn't. He also still needed to be regenerated. He needed to have his eyes open, which is surprising. Because he's the type of person you would think must be saved and has it all figured out. So we continue on in the passage and we see that regeneration is a spiritual rebirth and it is from God. Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born from above. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. Verse 4, the response of Nicodemus reflects what's probably a combination of confusion, but perhaps rebellion and maybe a little bit of sarcasm. I don't know what exactly that looked like in this culture. But he says, rebirth? What are you talking about, Jesus? Are you kidding me? How, how, how can a person enter into the womb again? Like, don't, don't you understand how these things work? Of course, again, the guy who's been reading the Old Testament should have seen that God often defies the way things work, but he couldn't. See it. He's blind to the truth. The end of John chapter 3, verses after what we've read today, was just too big of a piece to, to bite off all at once. But, but Jesus goes on to talk about, or John goes on to talk about this. He says, this is the verdict. Verse 19. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So the truth here is that we are all evil people. We're sinful. We're walking in darkness. That's the natural state of humanity. And because of that, we hate light because light exposes who we really are. The only way to see the light is if we accept this truth. And the only way to see the truth is if God reveals it to us. This experience of going from darkness to light, it's nothing less than a spiritual rebirth. It requires a new nature. 
And again, Nicodemus should have understood this need for spiritual rebirth. It had been talked about in many places. Here's a couple of examples. The book of Deuteronomy. It talks about a circumcision of the heart that will enable people to love God. The book of Deuteronomy, or the book of Ezekiel, spoke of a time in the future when God would replace the hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Same idea. The prophet Jeremiah foretold of a time when God would make a new and better covenant when he would write his law upon the hearts of people. Each of these images is pointing to this need, this spiritual rebirth, this dramatic conversion. But Nicodemus can't see it. So Jesus challenges him. And he says essentially that he is the new authoritative teacher. Only Jesus can reveal this truth. Even the current teachers don't understand it. And so if Nicodemus, a wealthy and educated, powerful, super religious guy, still needs this total reset, then what does that mean for us? It means we must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Regeneration is critical. It's a non-negotiable part of the process of God saving us. Now, why does this matter? Maybe this feels like abstract theological truth. I think it matters because it tells us something about the nature of God's salvation. This idea that we need a new birth. It means Christianity cannot be reduced to acquiring knowledge about God. Nicodemus had that. He had all the knowledge. It means Christianity cannot be reduced to assenting to a set of beliefs. Nicodemus had a lot of good beliefs. He believed a lot of things that were true. It means it's more than participating in a religious group. Nicodemus did that as well. What it means is that Christianity at its core is a life-altering, radical surrender. A death, really. A death to ourselves. We must die. We must be born again. And I think we're, maybe we're used to this language, this idea of born again, a born again Christian. What do we, what do we even mean by that? Well, what we mean is that being a Christian means that we are entering in, by God's grace, to a completely new life. We're completely different people than the people we would have been if we did not know the grace of God. And it's so radical, the only way you can describe it, you can't even say, it, even to say it's a 180, it's going the opposite direction, that's still not enough. To say it's a, an orientation of your life, it's a complete change in your behavior and attitudes, it's more than that. It is a spiritual rebirth. We literally become new people. We receive a new nature. That's how dramatic it is. We must be regenerated. And we must believe that regeneration is a gift from God. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. Jesus says we must be born of the water and born of the spirit. This isn't separate from being born again. He's explaining what he means by being born again. You must be born of water and of the spirit. What's it talking about here? Well, it's possible that it's an allusion to baptism, but I think it's more broad than that. He's saying that it's a, it's a new birth that cleanses and transforms. It's an inner renewal of the person. It's something that only God's spirit can accomplish. It changes us and renews us. And as the conversion unfolds, it becomes clear that Jesus is not telling Nicodemus how he can bring about this new birth. He's not saying, Nicodemus, here's how you do it. He's saying, this is something that only the Spirit of God can do. And it's a mysterious thing. The new birth is a mysterious work of the Spirit. It's not an event that we can bring about any more than our first birth. You can't birth yourself. You can't bring yourself into the world. 
We respond to that. We take on the responsibilities of the world, but we cannot bring about our new birth any more than we can bring about the second birth. It is a gift of God. So what are the truths I want you to walk away from today with? First, the Holy Spirit's work in our life precedes conversion. I had a couple of people after the first service say, you know what? I've just never really thought about that. Been in church all my life. Never really thought about the work of the Holy Spirit before I was a Christian. I understand now I have the Holy Spirit and there's a fullness and there's an indwelling of the Spirit that comes as a result of conversion, repentance, faith, all that whole package deal. But the Spirit is at work in our lives before that moment. And this is critical. Therefore, our salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. And I think I also want you to understand that this idea of being born again, of being regenerated, means that salvation is a life-altering, complete change of every aspect of your life. It's not something that we attach onto our life. It's not one of the categories. It's not one file folder. It's not one channel of your life. It's not one program operating in the background in your life. It is a completely new way of being human being. It is a spiritual rebirth that we live into each and every day of our life. And it is a work of God's Spirit that only God can accomplish. So if you, if you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, I think that we can be grateful for that. We cannot brag about our salvation. But we can be grateful for the work of God in our life. But maybe you're here today, maybe you're, you're listening, you're watching online, and maybe you're not. Maybe you're interested, you're curious, but you haven't committed to being a follower of Jesus. What does this mean? Well, I believe it means that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and life. You may not even know it. Or maybe you think about your life and you think there's things happening. There's some kind of drawing. There's some sort of experience. There's something happening in my heart and life that I cannot explain. That's the Holy Spirit. And if God is real and his spirit is at work in your life and drawing you to himself, don't ignore that. Don't deny that. Don't reject that. Listen. Be open. Surrender to that truth. Believe. Place your faith in Christ. The Spirit is at work and brings us to Jesus. And we give praise for God, to God for that. I pray that over the next eight weeks, we will see many ways that the Spirit is at work and we will live into the fullness of that, not just growing in information, but growing in the transformation that comes as we seek and we pursue that and we experience a power and a fullness that comes with our cooperation. The Spirit works whether we admit it or not, whether we recognize it or not. We're not talking about limiting God's power. God is sovereign. But Scripture does teach that we are to surrender to that that we are to give ourselves over fully to that, that we are to be filled actively with the Holy Spirit. And if we don't understand who the Spirit is or what the Spirit does, how can we live into that experience and experience that fullness? I pray that our eyes will be open. We'll see things we didn't see before. We will come 
to know the power and the fullness of the Spirit of God living inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in us. Wow. Praise God. May it be so. God, give us more. God, we want your Spirit to make us alive. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you will enliven, awaken our hearts. You will tune our hearts. You will reorient our hearts. You will allow us to see this amazing gift of God that has been given to us. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. God, even bringing and drawing us to the moment of salvation. Opening our eyes to see you for who you are and what you have done. God, I pray if there are those whose eyes are not open, that you will open them today or in the days ahead. That your scripture would come alive. And like Nicodemus, they would see their need to be born again, to receive the spiritual rebirth that only comes from you. And God, for all of us, that we will live into the great truths that you have revealed in your word. God, show us who your Holy Spirit is. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power. God, may we seek that. It will be for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.